This is Women's Leadership Success Radio Podcast, episode number 102. Hello, current and future women leaders. Are you afraid to make mistakes? Would you like to change behaviors in yourself that now limit you or may even be standing in the way of your success? Many women think they have to overcome obstacles before they can achieve their goal. What if that's not true? Join me today to unlearn your current methods for success and discover the secrets to advancing your career and leadership. Welcome to Women's Leadership Podcast, showing you how to influence people, improve your performance, and advance your career. Brought to you by women's leadership and career expert Sabrina Brom and womensleadershipsuccess.com. Here's your chance to meet women trendsetters leading the way to success, accomplishment, and balance in business and life, no matter if you're a manager, CEO, or entrepreneur. Join Sabrina for coaching and no-nonsense advice to improve your career and bottom line. This is Women's Leadership Success, um, and today I am so excited to have Barry O'Reilly as a guest. Barry O'Reilly is the author of Unlearn which is one of the best books that I've ever read. I've probably read it three times, um, three or four times. Um, the book is totally underlined. Uh, I have a lot of my coaching and consulting clients reading the book. And besides him being the author of the book, he's also um, one of, uh, he's a very good friend of mine and somebody that is a, just an incredible thought partner. It's so much fun sharing and exchanging ideas. And uh, probably you'll see a little bit of that in the conversation because uh, what I know there's, is there's no question I can ask him that we, we wouldn't be able to think about and, and enjoy uh, coming up with an answer or maybe we won't even have an answer. So anyway, Barry, thank you so much for doing this and welcome. Uh, look, thank you for such a kind introduction. Uh, it's been a real pleasure uh, getting to know and work with you over the last uh, year or two and delighted to sp spend some time on this show and, and with your listeners. Thank you. And would you tell us just a little bit of, about your background? Yeah, my background is quite varied. You know, I, I started off, um, my first job was in Silicon Valley working in a startup in, in the sort of late 90s. It gave me a great uh, exposure to like dealing with complexity and crazy things happening and figuring out how to solve problems that I'd never done before. And af after that, I got involved in startups and started uh, my own startup where we were building mobile games uh, in the sort of early 2000s and putting them on phones, uh, which, which again, the technology was really weak. And that was a really great chance for me to, again, learn about experimentation and testing out ideas or building products and um, I've, I've worked now in uh, all over the world, in Australia, South America, Asia, uh, in various different domains of education, um, product development, and, and uh, you know, I've had the great opportunity to work with some amazing people, uh, learn a lot from them, uh, and hopefully share some of the lessons I've learned in, in the books that I've written. So you, your, uh, your, your kind of beginning thing was working with Lean, is that correct? Yeah, well, yeah, my background is uh, I sort of found my way into these methodologies. You know, we it, when we had the mobile games development startup, you know, we, the technology was very new. 
I was very junior in my career. I didn't really know how to be an engineer. There was one senior person in the company and, and the rest of us were all junior. And, and we, we were trying to find a good way to share knowledge around the team. And we heard about this method where, you know, in the military, they would have two engineers sit beside each other. One would write code and the other would review it. So they would be writing and testing at the same time. Right. So knowledge sharing. Um, and that was called, that method was called paired programming, which introduced me to this concepts, uh, our suite of concepts that was part of um, uh, the agile software movement and then later the lean uh, movement. And, you know, I, I've just, I'm naturally curious. I'm always trying to find different ways to do things. I love researching. And, you know, that led me to this practice, which, which opened up a whole world of methods that, um, you know, some I intuitively were doing sort of myself, but it gave me a language to discuss them with other people and, and broaden my understanding of that field, uh, specifically around experimentation and dealing with ambiguity and testing and learning and figuring out what worked uh, through trial and error. And um, that really has helped me throughout my career to really put a language and a, a structure around what I'm doing and, and helping other people understand those methods and, and use them themselves. Great. And and the first book you wrote uh, with some other people, what was the name of that book? It's, that book was called Lean Enterprise. It was part of the Eric Ries Lean series. Uh, some people might be familiar with the Lean startup movement that Eric sort of championed. And our book, was, his was focused on startups, where our book was focused on larger scale organizations. And that was a sort of big launch pad for me. It, it, it sort of got word out to a, a, a more people uh, and brought more people together around those ideas. And it led me to then start my own business, um, uh, which I've been doing now for the last four years, working with you know, senior leadership teams from companies like uh, Capital One and HSBC, British Airways, uh, you know, these m massive companies right through to startups here in Silicon Valley, like Google and Apple and so forth. And helping helping these leaders sort of figure out uh, how they continuously improve and and build great products that their customers love so your uh, book unlearn is is the next iteration of this and can you um it's such a great book and there's so much in it but can you kind of give us an overview of what it's about yeah the the, the sort of next aha moment for me especially on the back of uh, writing lean enterprises i was working with all these leaders and they're phenomenally competent talented people you know and, and what i kept coming up against is that while uh, learning new things is tough it wasn't the limiting factor in them getting better performance it was actually getting them to unlearn their existing behavior much of which had made them successful in the past and what I, you know what i were trying to help people understand is that yes learning is one part of the equation but also you know as you learn new things other knowledge becomes obsolete uh, the world changes, technology changes. And if you keep holding on to the existing methods and models that made you successful in one sort of stage of your career, they're not always going to make you successful in the next. So Can you give, give us an example of that? I, I, you know, I've read it so many times and I use it, but what's an example of something maybe in a company that ha had to be unlearned so they could move to the next level? So, so one of the classics, especially for senior leaders, is they're used to telling people uh, what to do, right? Their competency is to have the answer. And, you know, the reason they 
grow in companies because they're the person always with the answer. And they get used to giving answers because you get a nice dopamine hit and you feel valued. But <sighs> one of the interesting things about as you scale as a leader is you've got to make other people successful. Your competency has to be create the environment for others to succeed. You know, and, and that transition is a challenge for a lot of people. Right? It's how do you help people find answers for themselves through asking questions rather than simply giving them the answer and making yourself ultimately a bottleneck for the company to grow. Another classic, uh, one of my favorite stories in the book uh, is I, I run a program called ExecCamp and um, executive in, in British Airways had this amazing idea for how they wanted to transform the airline industry. Now they've been in the industry for 20 years, deep expertise, they knew the answer. They just needed to build this product and push it onto their customers. Now, one of the things I often do to help people unlearn is create an environment that's safe for them to sort of experiment. So what we did is we got the executive to sit down with the customer and test their idea with a customer. How do you think it went? I don't know. Well, it went terrible. Um, what do you think the executive's reaction was when the customer said they didn't like the product? They wanted to change? Well, they, they were like, it just this is the wrong customer for my oh. idea. Bring me the next one. <laughs> it's not so my fault, we, right? Exactly. So we brought in the next customer. How do you think it went? They said the same thing? The same thing. And the next customer said the same thing. So we, we went through about sort of four iterations of this. And eventually I sat down with the executive to reflect. And I said to them, so what do you think the problem is here? And the executive was like, it's the idea that sucks, not the customer. You know, and this was sort of like their unlearning moment because they had got into such a habit, a conditioning, especially in large organizations of telling people what to do or pushing their ideas, not only onto their people, but their customers. And really what we should be doing is pulling that information from customers, is understanding what their problems are and then designing for that problem rather than having a solution that we're trying to push onto their problem. You know, so these are all like very subtleties that in some ways your competencies can start to become blind spots or limiting behaviors for you actually to get the outcomes that you want. You know, every executive wants to build great products and services for their customers, but often their behavior is, is orthogonal to that and they're pushing ideas onto their customers rather than pulling it from them. So that's just like one example, really, that we sort of come up against quite a lot. Um, and there's many moments I think your listeners would say if they think about a time in their career, you know, what was a behavior that made them successful in one job? And they tried to use that same behavior in the next job or role, and it just didn't work. Mm -hmm. You know, I think uh, that, that's something to just be subtly aware of. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm doing an online course right now, Activate Your uh, Leadership Superpowers. and um, a lot of the people are saying that they uh, they have beliefs that have held them back. Like, for instance, I'm not good at, at speaking in public or um, I don't see the value in networking. Uh, those, so those beliefs are limiters in terms of moving ahead in a company. And so this whole concept of unlearning is so powerful, and I, I, so I have a couple of questions around it. What are the signals that we can get that there's something we need to unlearn, whether it's a personal behavior 
or the way we're acting with a customer or our direct reports or our bosses? Yeah, there's a couple of sort of signals I, I always get people to think about, right? And, but it's very important. The first step is that you describe the outcomes you're aiming for. Right? People have to get good at describing what success is for them. Because if they don't do that, they've nothing to sort of measure against to say, am I achieving that or not? So, you know, the, the questions I always ask the people is, you know, where are areas where you're not living up to your expectations? Um, where have you defined an outcome that you're trying to achieve? Maybe you're trying to get fitter, healthier, have better collaboration in your team, and yet you're not achieving that. Right? That's probably a signal that the existing behaviors you're using are not driving the outcome that you want, and you should probably unlearn. Mm-hmm. Other and maybe they are, have, let me just say, that, and maybe they didn't even think through what the outcome is. I see that massively, right? Like most people don't sit down and really think before they act. What, what, do, what am I trying to achieve? How will I know if I've been successful in this? You know, one of the techniques with the system of unlearning, again, is getting good at describing what success is for you. What's the aspiration or outcome that you're aiming for? Because then you have something to measure or test yourself against. You know, so these ideas, then when you define it, if you're not living up to it, that probably tells you your existing behaviors aren't working. If you have a challenge that you're avoiding, something that you know that you need to do, but you just don't, won't face up to it, mm-hmm. probably deep down, you know, you don't know how to solve it. So you're just avoiding it. You know, um, other areas where you've tried everything you can think of and you're not getting the breakthrough that you want. Again, probably means you're, you're sticking within your comfort zone of behaviors and not trying something new to get there. You know, and, and I think that's why some of um, one of the fundamentals I've found about this is you really have to cultivate this idea of ownership in yourself. If you're not getting the results or the outcomes you're aiming for, you can't be blaming other people and saying it's someone else's fault or it's that team's fault. You've really got to own the results yourself and say, what am I going to do differently to affect the situation that I'm in? Because we really can only just change ourselves. And I find by when people see you starting to change, that's role modeling behaviors that encourage them to start to change. So that's why I always start to say, you know, thinking big about aspirations and outcomes that you want, but starting small with yourself to, to learn, relearn what works for you and doesn't to get the breakthroughs that you need. And when you're not living up to the outcomes you set for yourself, not meeting your expectations, avoiding situations, or tried everything you can think of and still not working. You know, they're all the signals to unlearn. So that's, Wonderful information. And in your book, you say sometimes it's unnecessary to overcome an obstacle. Can you explain what that means? Well, you know, I think um, thinking about obstacles is what we naturally do, right? People's natural mindset is shift to why they can't do something rather Mm -hmm. than the outcome they're aiming for as to what they want to achieve. And what I've continuously found when people shift from thinking about an outcome, which is generally more aspirational and long-term, it actually sometimes realizes that the obstacle, the small thing that they see in front of them, it gives them perspective of it. It also helps them realize, well, maybe this obstacle actually isn't in the way of where I'm really trying to go. But we often get stuck. You know, we get stuck. The obstacle is that my manager won't let me do something or the other team won't collaborate with me mm-hmm. or 
person X in finance won't sign off on my budget, right? So it gives us an excuse to sort of not own the situation and move forward. But, you know, so many of the great innovations and breakthroughs I've seen is when people had no time, no budget, no, no money, and they just came up with something small that they could do, a simple little trial to test if they could get a breakthrough that they want. But it all started with them thinking about what's the big aspiration that they wanted and a small step uh, to get there. You know, like very personal examples for me with my writing. You know, like I really struggle to write. I'm dyslexic. It's a really challenging way for me to create content. You know, and it was very easy for me to sort of say to myself, well, I'll never be able to write a book. It's just it's too hard for me. I've got D's all through English literature. I'm never going to pass. You know, but, but then when I started to think about, well, what's the true outcome I was aiming for? The outcome was I wanted to create content. And then there's so many different ways to create content. You know, I started experimenting. I started making videos. I started recording myself talking. And eventually I found a really interesting method for me was the best way for me to create content was to talk about it, to be interviewed. And we would record the interviews and transcribe them. And suddenly I'd have like tens of thousands of words from an hour conversation. And I could just start to edit my thoughts. So this obstacle that I easily put in front of myself saying, well, I can't type. It's hard for me to write. It was an obstacle that was not really in the way of what I was trying to do, which is create content. Mm -hmm. And I found a way to get around that when I really thought about what's the outcome I wanted and what are some small steps I could try to get there. So I think it's just getting people to like reframe how they think about things is a really powerful way to look at how many options you really have rather than getting stuck on just the one obstacle that's currently in front of you. How real is it? And is it really blocking the true outcome that you want? Um, I, my mind's going in 10 different directions here. And one of the things as you, as you start doing this, it really changes the way you think about everything, doesn't it? it it's a, again, I think a lot of these things are big shifts in your mindset. You know, like one of the things I definitely discovered throughout my career, especially working building software products, is nobody knows the answer. Right? Nobody knows exactly what customers want. Nobody knows exactly how the technology really works. And a lot of the time it's trial and error. So that allowed me to develop this, this concept of how I could be clear on what the big uh, aspiration or outcome I'm aiming is for. Maybe it's building a great product. Maybe it's making customers happy. But what were the small steps I could do to find out to get there? What small experiments could I run? What small bits of software could I write to test to see if people would use things or not? And iterate a lot to relearn what's going to work and find you know, the right fit for the step that I'm trying to make to move towards the bigger outcome that I want. And I think that's been a huge help for me to recognize that it's about adapting to, your, to the situations that you're in continuously. The world is always going to change. Technology is always going to change. You know, and so really what we need is a system to both recognize when behaviors are working for us and when they're not, they're limiting us and adapt. And I think that's been a huge help for me to develop that sort of uh, muscle, if you will, in myself. So that adaptation is um, having knowing the outcome you want and opening up to a lot of different ways of thinking about 
how you might do that that might be out of your comfort zone? Well, I think it's one of the most interesting things I discovered is, and it goes back to this signal of knowing when you need to unlearn. You know, most of the aspirations we have, you know, if our existing behavior was working, we'd be achieving them. You know, and yet often we sort of uh, get stuck. You know, who, who wouldn't like to be fitter? You know, and, and yet a lot of people sit there and sort of like don't do anything different. They don't change their behavior in a way. So how can you sort of get into this sort of mindset of get good at describing what success is and then find ways or new ways, slightly uncomfortable ways of new behaviors that you can try. And the way you make that safe is that you're not doing big steps. You know, I'm not asking people, are you going to get healthier and tomorrow you have to run a marathon? It's like, you want to get healthier? Great. What could you do tomorrow? Could you walk around the block? Could you swap a slice of bread for a piece of salad in your meal? There are so many small little options that you can make just to get a little bit better and start. Mm-hmm. And what's the most powerful part of all this is by starting small, it's safe to fail. It's easy to try many things, but you also feel successful quickly. And the power of momentum, the power of people feeling, you know, I want to get healthier. And tomorrow I walked around the block. Yes, I've started. I'm, I'm transitioning to a new me and I'm aware of it. Versus when you sit there and go, I want to get fitter. God, can I run a marathon? That feels so hard. I'm never, oh, I'm just going to give up and think about something else. You know, so this power of thinking big, starting small, so you can quickly learn what works for you or not safe to fail, but also feel success quickly is a super powerful method uh, to get people starting to change their behavior and be conscious of them changing their behavior. Because we change all the time, just not conscious of it. So um, think big, start small. When you say safe to fail, how does that make it safer to fail? Well, the thing is, you know, if you commit to all your friends that you're going to run a marathon tomorrow and you've never run in your life, you know, it's probably, it's, that's a pretty hard task. People are probably going to get nervous about that. But, you know, when you think and you start small and you're going to try and walk around the block, you know, like what's the worst that can happen walking around the block? Maybe you make it to half a block. That's okay. Maybe you'll make a block tomorrow, you know. And I think it's recoverable situations where people are outside their comfort zone. If you're asking them to, to do hard things that require a lot of effort, it's very tough. But if it's just outside their comfort zone, it's easy to do and requires a little bit more effort, they're much more likely to take that first step. And then, as the saying goes, maybe it was Einstein, what's the greatest part uh, in the world is compound interest. So you start to compound your successes and you build momentum. And this is sort of such a powerful concept that I think most people aren't aware of is that the way you change behaviors is starting small and introducing tiny new behaviors to existing routines and build it up and build it up until you build such momentum that it becomes habit. And I think that's sort of this idea of why doing small things more frequently is much more powerful than doing trying to do these big things uh, infrequently. Um, I, I hope that everybody listening to this 
rewinds and listens to it again because what you just said is so incredibly powerful and I've been doing it with my coaching and consulting clients and the results have just been phenomenal from using this method. It's, it's just really, really exciting and it gets results. It's, it's been amazing for me, you know, like, and like the fun analogies are, you know, 1st of January, who, who doesn't sit down and say, you know, I'm going to get fitter this year and they sign up for the gym and they go on Monday and they do a workout. And then on Tuesday, they're like, oh God, I'm a bit sore from Monday. Maybe, maybe I'll just go for half an hour. Uh-huh. Then by Wednesday, and this is why we, we struggle with our New Year's resolutions, right? We, we set such huge aspirations and then we set such huge big changes in behavior but really what you want to do is think big and start small and and build that momentum and feel success along the way to propel you forward Um, and that's really one of the huge things I've noticed from teaching this. So the you know uh, my questions was what are the steps to change a behavior so I think you just said them but would you repeat them again so I'm going to change a behavior yeah, so the, the, the step, first steps. Step, yeah, the first step I would um, get people to think about is get clear about what they want to unlearn, right? So what's a challenge that they're, again, where they're not living up to their expectations, uh, uh, somewhere they're avoiding, an area that they've tried everything they can think of and they're not getting the breakthrough they want. Identify that challenge, you know, and then almost like write a story of success. If you, had to, if you just totally obliterated or knocked that challenge out of the park, maybe in sort of six months to a year's time, what would be the things that you'd be doing differently? You know, and write that story, like write a one page sort of story of that for yourself. And then go through that story and look for some of the key behaviors about what you're doing differently then as today and sort of underline them. Right. And and because those behaviors are, are, you know, behaviors are observable and measurable. So you can start to write outcomes for yourself. So whether that's, you know, improve how you collaborate as a team, uh, make customers more satisfied with the products that you build, fitter, yeah. happier, healthy, whatever more productive is for you, and then define that. And once you define that outcome for yourself, then try and come up with ideas of new behaviors that you could use to try and achieve that outcome. You know, try and list about 10. And it's hard to come up with 10 because normally after about four or five, most people will write down things that are comfortable to them. You know, so getting to 10 is tough because you're going to have to write some things that are unfamiliar to you. But challenge yourself, see if you can. And then really what I always say is then just pick one of those behaviors, one that's like slightly outside your comfort zone. Think about how you can make it really small. Like what could you do in a week? What could you do in a day? And then try it. Just try that behavior for a day and see does it move you in the direction that you've defined as success? Uh, and if it hasn't, why not? And then reevaluate and, and try another behavior tomorrow or double down on the one that you've just tried and how can you build momentum with that? And I think if you get into that pattern, um, you can be amazed what you achieved over just the course of a week. Do you do anything to measure your success in those areas? Well, I think that's why defining your outcomes before you start are so important. You know, my my classic example, again, was 
you know, I was feeling frustrated and uh, tired and stressed at the end of each week because I wasn't getting all my work done. You know, and the and the I had a lo- classic obstacles. Oh, I have too much email, I have too many meetings, and context switching too much. You know, all these obstacles I kept coming up with. But then I was started to think about well, what's the real outcome that I want here? You know, when I wrote my sort of story of of success, you know, what I found was is that I was writing things like. I'm spending more time in personal development projects. I feel more accomplished at the end of the week. You know, and then I just sort of tried to constrain and quantify those things. So I sort of was saying to myself, well, okay, I want to feel more accomplished. I want to feel that like that 84 out of five days a week or 80% of my time, I want to feel like I feel accomplished with the work I've done each day. And I'd like to spend 25% of my time on personal development projects. Right? And when I wrote down those two outcomes uh, to, of things that I wanted to essentially unlearn, it was very easy for me then to start say, well, if I want to feel accomplished 80% of my time, what are some of the things that helped me feel accomplished when I wrote those down? What were some of the things that hinder me from feeling accomplished when I wrote those down? You know, and one that sort of stood out to me very quickly was um, this spending time in social media. You know, I felt like such a low return for such a high amount of my time. So how could I sort of dampen that? You know, so so one of the things I would always do is anytime my phone beeped, I'd end up on my phone and I'd end up on something like Facebook and just strolling for 10 minutes of my day, right? And very little value there. So the way I tried to do that is, well, how could I stop that behavior? So what I decided to do was, well, every time my phone beeped, I seemed to go use my phone and then go on to Facebook. So I just deleted Facebook from my phone, right? So even when my phone beeped, I couldn't perform the behavior of going onto Facebook. And I really found that I sort of started spending, my phone would beep, it wasn't there, and I'd go and do something else. I'd actually get back to doing what I needed to do. And um, very quickly, but subtly, my behavior was changing, right? Every day I was spending like 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes less on social media and doing it with something else. And, you know, and that just just got me started very quickly. And then I started to recognize other behaviors that were holding me back. And and then at the end of each day, asking myself, do I feel accomplished or not? What what helped me feel accomplished? What hindered me? And when you get into this sort of cycle, it's amazing um, how quickly you can compound. Uh, And, you know, very quickly, I've been spending way more time feeling accomplished at the end of the weeks. And that's also made other time where I'm spending on personal development projects, things that I like, you know, learning different techniques or research or tools or reading books or what, whatever I want to sort of fill that, the time that was sort of low returning time with high returning time. Um, and that's been really uh, satisfying at a personal level to go through this process. I coach myself how to do it as well as other people. That's that's. Wonderful. And the original question I asked you, I'm going to ask again in a different way. What I find is a lot of people don't notice that they've made the changes or it is they are getting 80% of their work done or getting more um, time for their personal development. And it seems like people need some way to be aware that the change is happening. And I'm wondering if you've noticed that or if you don't well, see that. I think, as we sort of were saying, 
we change all the time. It's just we're not aware that we're changing. And I think when you start to put a system in place to say, here's what success is for me. Every week, I'm going to feel 80% accomplished. Here's, here's what I'm going to try today to get there. And then at the end of each day that you reflect on the things that you did and did it move you in the direction that you want. And then you do the same the next day. And, and all this time, you're, you're subtly becoming aware of the things that you're doing or not doing. You're guided by where you're trying to get to because you've defined it. And if you just even journal that for a week, you know, you'll, you'll start to be very conscious of things you did you didn't do, things you thought you might but didn't work for you, things you thought wouldn't work for you but did, right? And, and looking back at this sort of almost like a data-informed approach about yourself, about what's working for you, what's not working for you. You know, and, and often, you know, again, this is one of the a thing is when we're aware of the data of ourselves, like if we really track ourselves, we're looking at what we're really doing, not what we say we would do. And again, that's a really interesting way for people to reflect on the behaviors of, that work for them, of their, what they say versus what they do. And I think that's always a very interesting insight to reflect on that and think about what you're gonna do differently now that you're aware about what you are actually doing. And I so it, that makes a lot of sense. And so for you, you can just, you just monitor it by noticing it. And there could be people, for instance, they want to exercise more. They could write down, I walked a half a block today, a block this day, um, three blocks. They could, they could keep a journal of how, what's improving. That also could be a, a technique if that worked better for them. Is I that correct? So. Yeah. I think so, yeah. And, um, you know, like, what's the easiest way for you to gather little bits of information to help guide you along your way? So you can look back and also remember how much you've succeeded as well. It's really quite powerful. Because we oh. have such a, we do sort of have such a short-term memory about what we were doing a month ago, three months ago. Like so many teams I work with, you know, they're pushing so hard to improve, sometimes they forget how far they've come. Because again, they often focus on the next obstacle, the next thing to get over. And there's a lot to be said to reflect on and feeling successful about how much you actually have achieved. And it's easy to forget that when you're constantly trying to improve, thinking right. about the next challenge and the next challenge. Right. So yeah, celebrating or noticing there is change, you are, you are getting better. I just have a couple more questions um, for you. Uh, you say $36 billion is spent on learning every year and only 30% is effective. Why is that? Well, this is super interesting, right? Like I, I, I was read this in Harvard Business Review report that they did on executive development. Uh, and the problem is even the way we're teaching people lear to learn needs to be unlearned. You know, we believe that by sitting people in a classroom and pushing information onto them, that it's going to change their behavior, just like the executive of British Airways tried to push a product onto a customer. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the way to change people's mindset is not to tell them to think differently. You've got to get them acting differently. 
because when you start to act differently, you experience the world in a new way. And that gives you a new sets of information, new perspectives. And that perspective runs contrary to your existing mental models of the world. And that makes you realize that by changing, you get a different result, which means you should actually keep changing. And I've seen this so much uh, with coaching people. And again, it's one of the reasons why I focus so much on thinking big and starting small and taking some action is because people start behaving differently very quickly and they get a new perspective. Right? Like what, One of my favorite examples is I coached the executive team of a very large bank. You know, the CEO was constantly, I was asking them like, you know, how, how are you feeling each week? And they were like, oh, I just feel like I get nothing done. You know, so they were very much in this, we, you know, we sort of said, well, you know, again, how could 80% of your time, how could you go home feeling accomplished? And I'd ask them, where do you spend most of your time? So where do you think execs spend most of their time? I don't know. Meetings. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> Always in meetings. How effective do you think they think those meetings are? Probably not very effective. Right? And, and then what are you doing differently to change that? And often most of them will say nothing because we've always done them that way. Yeah. You know, and so like then I would say, so I'd say to them, well, let's just try and introduce a tiny new behavior into your meeting. They're like, cool, sure. So I would say five minutes before the meeting ends, just stop the meeting and ask everybody in the room, what outcomes have we achieved from this meeting? And go around the room, say nothing, just listen to what people think they've achieved from the meeting. Right? And the great thing about that is it role models a new behavior in the leader that they're trying to improve things. Secondly, they get to test their assumptions about does everybody have the same understanding they have about what happened in the meeting? Thirdly, the team all learn something about what everyone else got out of that meeting and what, what worked and what didn't. Now, all that took was five minutes before a meeting ended for the leader to stop and ask a question. And how much do they get out of that question? And the more interesting thing is it causes this ripple effect because once leaders start performing behaviors of improving things, what do you think everyone who works with them starts to do? The same. And more, and so suddenly then people are actually asking, what's the outcome of this meeting? What decisions do we need to make? How can we make them quickly? Are we finished? Are we done? Are we aligned? Let's move on. You know, and radically within a month, their meetings were like a whole different experience for them. Half of them went away. So I think it's one of these things where it's very easy for us to get comfortable with the current world, the status quo, the way the meetings are always run. But when you really get deliberate and think about these things and be aware that you can actually affect them and try to affect them and see what happens when you try to affect them, the results you can achieve are extraordinary. And they can all be so small, the steps to get started. And I think that was one of the huge aha moments for me. It's just by thinking big, getting good at describing what success is, and starting small, tiny new behaviors to see what works and what doesn't, so you can learn fast what works and what doesn't. You can have amazing impact and extraordinary results. Well, we're just about done. I'm wondering if there's any um, last words you'd like to say to people before we end the, this interview. I think, um, you know, 
one of the things I think I always get people to think about is like, don't be afraid to try, you know, and, and the smaller you start, the safer it is to try. And, you know, the more confident you'll become because when you make a small mistake, it's always recoverable, but you can also make a small success and build momentum. So, you know, it's never as tough as people think to just try. And once you get used to trying new things, you know, success or failure becomes such a, a, it dissipates because, you know, if you don't try something and it doesn't work, you're actually closer to finding the thing that will work. You don't get hung up on the failure idea. You realize you've just taken one step and you've learned something and that's going to help you take the next step and the next and the next and the next uh, to eventually get in the direction that you want to achieve. So just really take that idea to heart of thinking big and starting small and learning fast. And if you do, I think uh, you'll be amazed by some of the results uh, you can achieve. Thank you so much. And and the name of your book is Unlearn. And how can we find out more about you and what you do? Yeah, um, I'm on Twitter at Barry O'Reilly and at barryoreilly.com. And um, yeah, I'd love to hear from any of your listeners if you've been inspired, curious enough to listen uh, and dive more into the book or run some experiments and share them back with me. I'm always interested to hear the things people have done. It's been amazing. Um, I've had people use this method in ways I could never imagine. You know, I wrote it primarily as a business book, but now I have people who contact me that say they've quit smoking or they've improved relationships with their family or their friends or used it in ways that I just could never imagine. So I'm always inspired to hear those stories and uh, really happy to, if people have any, to, to share them. Great. Thank you so much, Barry. Really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Ah, it's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you. And if you would like to quickly find out where you are in your leadership development, here's how you can. I've designed a special four-minute career development quiz, and as one of my listeners, you can get it for free. Just go to http colon slash slash careerdevelopmentquiz.com. Once you complete the confidential quiz, you'll get your score and suggestions immediately. Plus, you may even qualify for a free coaching session. And lastly, can you do me a small favor? Our goal this year is to get 500,000 downloads of Women's Leadership Success. We have almost 335,000 downloads now. When we have more listeners, we can help more women be better leaders worldwide. Empowered women change the world. Here's how you can be part of this women's leadership global movement by sharing this show or the particular episode that you have enjoyed in social media, subscribing and giving me a review on iTunes, Stitcher, and in our Women's Leadership Success page on Facebook. Thanks for your help and bye for now. Thank you for joining your host, Sabrina Brahm, on another Women's Leadership Podcast. If you have questions or comments, you can email her at sabrina at sabrinabrahm.com. Since 1989, Sabrina and her team have helped hundreds of women managers, business leaders, and entrepreneurs with valuable trainings, articles, books, and executive coaching. For additional tips, interviews, and free access to Great Leaders Today mini-course, visit www.womensleadershipsuccess.com.